Welcome to a special presentation of Behind the Page, where we at Marvel vs. Marvel revisit the comic book histories of some of your favourite Marvel characters. If you're joining us for the first time, each and every episode of MVM is packed with this kind of history and trivia as we explore the Marvel movies and the comic books that inspired them. This is an important movie to cover. This is an important topic to cover for us um, on on our journey through Marvel because this, the Fantastic Four, is the beginning of the Marvel Universe. This is the comic book that changed comic books uh, and changed modern fiction forever and arguably changed movies forever because of what we see now. Uh, Did this revolution was created by Stanley and and Jack Kirby in the very early 60s. This is a period of time where superhero comic books were old and dusty by the 60s. Well, (laughs) pre-war stories about tough, strong, square-jawed men who fought for truth and justice and the American way. They were, like, done. Like, they had a boom of popularity... That, that was really big in the Second World War when people were really trying to reach out for some symbol of power and hope and justice in a very, very dark time for the whole planet. And then they ran their course and they became very unpopular, not least because of, as we as we discussed um, in other episodes, this sort of um, public relations attacks, Senate hearings on how dark... Um, and violent comic books had become. Go mm. back to the archive, check out the Blade episode for some more deep info on those Senate hearings. There were book burnings across the US and the UK because of comic books. Um, lots of talk about them corrupting the youth. Um, so Marvel, which wasn't called Marvel, it was called Timely Comics at the time, they stopped making superhero comics. And they went back to science fiction to monsters and aliens attacking earth and the cowboys which were very popular and love stories which stanley was very good at writing romance comics were very popular and things like that now now uh dc comics the the competitors which were called um, national comics at the time they, they kept making superman and batman but they turned them into these um very uh, very goofy, childish, family-friendly stories. There's no fighting. There's no violence in Superman or in Batman. Batman's not a grim, urban crime fighter, right? He's getting turned into a baby, into a toddler. He's <laughs> being transported to Mars. Superman's getting turned into a lion, uh, or uh, Jimmy Olsen's a giant turtle. It, it, it's just it's a, it's a very goofy, goofy period that the nineteen fifties. Um, Stanley 
during this time frame is editor at what was Timely Comics, Marvel, and he's writing and editing these monster cowboy romance comics. And we're going to take a look at uh, some interviews and, and, and the book that Stanley quote unquote wrote <laughs> and get some of his thoughts around the time. He said, um, I didn't like what Martin Goodman, that's the publisher of, of Timely Comics, I didn't like what Martin mm. Goodman wanted me to do. He felt comics were for young kids and stupid <laughs> adults. He used to say to me, Remember, Stan, don't use words of more than two syllables. Don't use too much dialogue. Get a lot of action and just don't worry about the characterization. <laughs> and I, I was doing that and the books were selling well and I had a steady job, but it wasn't satisfying me because I really think of myself as a reasonably good writer. I like to write characters. So I really wanted to quit and try something else. And Jack Kirby, in interviews, has said at the same period of time, I had to do something different. The story, the monster stories have their limitations. You can only do so many of them. And then it just becomes a monster book, month after month, the same ideas. So there had to be a switch because the times weren't exactly conducive to good sales. So I felt the idea was to come up with new stuff all the time. In other words, there had to be a blitz of new ideas, a blitz of new characters. And and here is where, in our journey, we need to talk about Jack Kirby. And I have uh, I have been remiss mm. in, in not devoting more time to Kirby um, so far. And we're on episode 16. And I am remiss in doing that. And that's because perhaps I think more, more as a writer than as an artist. And I think perhaps a bit more favourably towards Stan Lee. But we do need to talk about, about Jack Kirby. In, intentionally or not, because Jack Kirby has had fallings out and separations and legal battles with Marvel Comics and Disney. Ooh, wow. And because Stan, Stan Lee remained attached to the company for the rest of his life, the narrative that history remembers, the narrative that modern Marvel and DC pushes, is that Stan Lee created the Marvel Universe. Now, it doesn't deny Jack Kirby. He gets a small byline. It, it appears in every movie in the credits. Mm. But they don't actively acknowledge Jack like they do Stan Lee, yeah. who had become their spokesman slash mascot. And someone <laughs> that that they, for want of a better term, had, had control over. Mm. Um what is interesting about Stan Lee and Jack Kirby is that well Jack Jack Kirby is the most influential storyteller in the history of American comic books hands down there is no question you can talk to anyone you can ask anyone they might have their favorites but Jack Kirby his nickname is the king and it's an earned title it's a title for a reason his art style set the tone for literally every single comic book, superhero comic book that, that, that came after him. Um, his, his work is really incredible. Um, I, I, it's dynamic, it's powerful, and it just he just birthed this, this superhero kind of style out into the world. The, um, the Marvel method of making comic books 
means that there is some kind of, I guess, discrepancy between how things come about and, and how things happen. I'm just going to start to send you some of um, some of Jack Kirby's uh, artwork now in case you haven't seen any of it, Will. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was creating things for um, DC Comics and for Marvel as well. Uh, and, and so he influenced kind of both sides of the, the tableau, as it were. Both sides of the table had this this kind of um, mm, this Jack Kirby yes. influence, um, and that's a that's a huge one from Etrigan the the Demon. That's a great big splash page where he's doing very intricate designs. And um, but what's also amazing about about Jack Kirby is his composition. Of, of a page his ability to use the action to draw your eye in exactly the way it needs to be drawn to tell the story um, he was yeah. incredibly good at doing that um, but he was also uh, there's a there's a kinetic energy to his artwork there's a there's a there's a dynamic strength to his artwork I mean, there's him uh, drawing Captain America, who he co-created with Joe Simon and Bucky, um, and that's a very, very famous page there. This man, this monster, a famous Fantastic Four story, um, which really highlights the pathos, the sadness of the thing, um, and and he just uh, the, the the way Marvel made comic books at the time leaves things open to interpretation because so the Marvel method which was kind of created by Stan Lee with working with all these different artists was that Stan Lee would write out the plot of the issue send it to the artist in however much detail we don't know but he would send it to the artist the artist would then take the plot and break it down into uh page by page and panel by panel within those pages so you're giving a plot maybe it's a two page plot maybe it's a one page plot breaking it down into all those different chunks pacing it out that in and of itself is a hell of a lot of storytelling but these people were not given the credit of writer they were only given the credit of artist which Mm. sounds like they followed a plan which in more yeah. modern comics might be page one panel one this is what it looks like this is what is being said panel two this is what it looks like this is what's being said and that wasn't the way that wasn't the marvel method so the artist in this case jack kirby would take the plot and break it down into 22 pages page by page beat by beat act by act and then panel by panel on the page and then those pencils would be sent back to, to Stanley, and he would write in all the dialogue, all the verbiage, all the words, all the captions, all of that. And then at the end, that's how you get the story. So it's very hard if you look at that method. It's, it's impossible to say Jack Kirby created everything. It's impossible to say Stanley created everything. It's hard to unpick it all. Um, and, and they've kind of both gone head to head. Well, no, that's not true. Mm. Stanley, in all public comments, says that Jack, he and Jack Kirby did it together, and Jack Kirby was a huge part of the creative process and did lots of stuff with him. And Jack Kirby makes life more difficult for us who want to be nice and kind about everyone because Jack Kirby says 
Stan Lee never wrote a single word of any comic book he was ever on. <laughs> and that's that's hard to reconcile. It's very hard to take that and, and do anything with it. But that's what Jack Kirby said for a long number of years. And it's also worth mentioning that during these long number of years, when he was saying this, Jack Kirby was in protracted legal battles and disputes with Marvel Comics over the ownership rights of all these characters. So you may say that Jack Kirby is the only voice outside of Marvel Comics speaking the truth, or you might say Jack Kirby has a vested interest in saying these things because he was involved in a legal battle to get himself more money and more rights over the characters. I've done a lot of digging and a lot of reading, and I don't know where to go. I don't know where to go. Okay, I have a fondness for both men. Is it's hard? So let's just take a swig of something here. So at this time, the publisher of Timely Comics, what would become Marvel, Martin Goodman, he has this infamous golf game with Jack Leibowitz, who is the publisher of DC Comics at the time, National Comics. You've got the two publishing heads of superhero comics, or of comic books, sorry, in America at the time, playing golf together. And Leibowitz is really bragging about this new superhero team, this new book they just put out, called The Justice League of America. And he's bragging about how the great the sales are, how popular it is. They've got all their top superheroes together in one book. And, oh, Martin, you wouldn't believe how great this thing is doing. Oh, and you've not got anything like that, have you? No, you, you, you've stopped. You've stopped doing superheroes. So, Marty Goodman, you know, a little riled up by this, and he's a... You can look at his, his, his history. He's a trend follower, not a trendsetter. So, <laughs> when he sees how well the Justice League comic book is doing, he goes to Stan Lee and directs him to create a comic book featuring... A team of, of heroes and he says you could go back you don't have to do anything new you could go back and use those wartime heroes captain america name all the submariner the human torch just start with them and go from there and stan uh says that he's about to quit he is on the verge of quitting comic books completely and going to marketing advertising some other area of publishing maybe do magazines and his wife, Joan, says to him at the time, if you want to quit before you do, why don't you do one book the way you would like to do it? Not the way they're telling you to do it. Mm. The worst thing that would happen is that you'll get fired. And so what? You want to quit anyway. <laughs> so that's that's exactly what he does. Stan figures that this is his chance to write a comic book for the first time ever the way that he wants to do it with his level of of attention to character so he and I'll, I'll read now from from his interview from his book I came up with something called the Fantastic Four but instead of making them heroes who wore costumes I figure I'm not going to give them costumes because I always felt if I had a superpower why would I put on a costume First of all, I'm too much of a show-off. I'd want everyone to know it's me. I'm not going to wear a mask. If I could jump <laughs> over a building, 
Why would I need to put on a colourful costume? I'll just jump over the building. I don't need a costume. I try to make them real characters living in the real world. The hero, Reed, he wasn't a perfect guy. He was a fella like me. Talked too much. Always boring other people because of the way he explained things. And he went on and on forever. And one of the other guys would have to say to him, Will you just shut up? The obligatory teenager of the group, instead of just robbing with Batman, he runs around and fights all the bad guys with him. I made this a teenager who didn't want to be a superhero. He was like I was when I was a teenager. He wanted to go out in his car and talk to girls. The girl, instead of the obligatory female who always had to be rescued and doesn't know the superhero's secret identity, she was the hero's fiance. She was part of the group. She had a superpower, so she was a fighting member of the team. And the fourth guy was a monster. Something happened to him and he became very ugly and very strong and I used him for both pathos and humour because he was always fighting with the others, always insulting them and yelling at them. He was bad-tempered and the teenager was always picking on the monster. I got a lot of comedy out of that duo and he became far and away the most popular member of the group. And that there, it does encapsulate what is important about the and what is groundbreaking about the team so when you go and look at what Jack Kirby talks about with the Fantastic Four all he ever talks about is the design the <laughs> costume and the powers and the fact that they're a sci-fi book when you go and see what Stan Lee talks about he really talks about the heart of the characters they are this is a groundbreaking series. It is hugely popular because it is hugely different. The characterization is hugely different. Reed is a boring blowhard. Johnny's an insufferable <laughs> kid. Ben is angry and grumpy and, and depressed. And Sue is not just a kidnap victim. If you read issue one, which you can get in, in collected volumes, this team are fighting and arguing and insulting each other all the way through the issue. Like the readers had never seen anything like this before, and it, and it and it blew them away. Stan and Jack created um, a hundred and two issues and a bunch of of annuals. These guys aren't fighting crime; they're adventurers, they're explorers. With the Fantastic Four in that in that hundred plus episode, uh, issue run, we discover we really discover the Marvel universe. So Thor is doing. Asgard and, and, and these kind of fantasy elements but almost every other character is kind of just around Manhattan and there's nothing else happening every 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 new Marvel hero is in Manhattan with the Fantastic Four we meet the Skrulls and the Kree and we get Galactus mm. and the Silver Surfer and they try to destroy the world and Uatta the Watcher appears and says there are Watchers everywhere and then they go to the negative zone and they battle Annihilus and Blastar and see civil wars and they go to the hidden city of Wakanda and they meet the Black Panther and then they see Namor and the armies of Atlantis that want to rule the surface world and they just entirely in that comic book they expand the Marvel Universe from within and they add and they build and they grow this rich tapestry 
This, I mean, it's it's world building on a, on like a Tolkien level, but not as dull. And it's just <laughs> incredible. And it and it becomes hugely popular. They get the cartoon series. I mean, uh, Fantastic Four is sixty one. They get the cartoon series in sixty seven. They get another series in the seventies. They get another cartoon series in the nineties. Um, and there are action figures and video games. And that's the Fantastic Four. This is the beginning of everything. It's the beginning of the Marvel Universe. And not just because the first issue was good and things followed on from there, but because that 102-issue run is incredible and, and builds and builds and builds. And, and it is just... You, you, you can't believe <laughs> all these ideas come from the same two people jam-packed into the same series. And it's, it's golden, man. It's golden. Thanks for joining us as we revisit some of our favourite moments from Marvel vs. Marvel. Don't forget, our full-length episodes are jam-packed with hours of Marvel trivia, behind-the-page, behind-the-scenes, and comic book Marvel history. Marvel.